the What I Watch Tonight show. Good morning, afternoon or evening, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to the What I Watch Tonight show. My name's Matt Hudson and I am the average sized brain behind the site, whatiwatchtonight.co.uk. In these episodes I chat with a guest that specialises in or enjoys movie reviewing or critiquing, putting some questions to them and basically just talking movies. Uh, Without any of that, the title of this show would be extremely misleading. Uh, Today's episode, I'm pleased to say uh, Eugene Kang from Catching Up With Film is our guest. Eugene, how are you doing? Hi, I'm good. It's good to hear. Where are you calling from? I'm calling from California in my new house. Nice. Just just hearing California makes me think it's very sunny over there, or am I being naive? It has been uh, surprisingly cold, but that's quite relative, because cold is like 50 degrees over yeah. here, or Fahrenheit. Yeah, I can imagine. I can't imagine the palm trees being having too much snow on them. Yeah, yeah, it's hard to imagine. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, if, it, if it's possible to put the world of movies just to one side, uh, what else does a standard day look like for you? Well, it's a lot of lounging around and waiting till school ends. I um, I tutor uh, students after school in just a variety of subjects, and um, yeah, it's uh, um, it's it's a nice flexible job that happens to compensate well. And it sounds uh, fairly rewarding as well, I imagine. Oh uh, yeah, it's uh, you know, kids can be quite frustrating, but you know when they they actually listen to you and they actually grow. It's uh, it's rewarding in in that way. Cool, brilliant. Well, I mean, you have a great website, Catching Up With Film. Uh, Thank can you. you. No problem. Can you give some insight into its content? And um, though it's slightly different to the one taken on by the Baggins family, can you enlighten us on the quest that you're currently undertaking? Um, so Catching Up With Film is my movie blog that I started on New Year's Day this year. It's been something I've been contemplating for a while. And the way that I got into film was that I was really taken up with lists, like those big lists of like the best movies of all time. Yeah. Like, um, the Thousand and One Movies to Watch Before You Die. Um, Edgar Wright has his own personal canon of a thousand films or so. And, um, and I, I figured that it's really easy to come up with a list. Um, like anyone can come up with lists uh, like pretty easily, but what might be even more challenging is uh, having just kind of a, a series of essays on uh, on each of the the movies in your list, basically. And um, and I decided just to kind of go for a big crazy goal of having talking about my thousand favorite movies ever and having a fairly extensive review about each one of them. I mean, the the canon itself is fairly vast in terms of its reach. Uh, we're not just dealing with your standard Hollywood blockbusters. There's a lot of international cinema, or what others would just simply class as film. Um, right. So there's also, in terms of the website, there's themed days to be found. So you also do a theme Tuesday, a short film Wednesday, and trivia mm-hmm. Thursday, which is an awful lot of fun. Right. Um, it's just kind of a way to... Um, well, here's the thing with with uh, with the block and with the canon, it's not done at all. Um, and I acknowledge that I have a lot of gaps in my film knowledge. So um, having things like Theme Tuesdays and Short Film Wednesdays are just kind of a way to expose me to new types of work and new artists. Hopefully, um, just broaden my my particular knowledge of cinema even even greater, I guess. Um, and the trivia is just uh, that's just for fun, really. I would urge people to uh, actually, to go out and try it because I've had a go at this week's one. Um, I dread to think what my final result is, but um, but essentially, it's, for people out there, it's it's a pub quiz, but obviously the the questions are all movie based. So uh, I would highly recommend checking that out. It's a lot of fun, and it's and again, because just going back to your canon, there are a few films that caught my eye the fact just because of the fact that they're very good things like uh let the right one in uh force majeure was on there um under the skin so if you could pick one out of the uh canon you currently have is there one which you're putting at the top yet or well 
I think, uh, so my very first film that I reviewed on New Year's Day was The Handmaiden. Yes. Pop Channel that came out two years ago. And, uh, it was, it was the Zad film that basically kind of inspired the canon in the first place. Um, just, uh, um, I think, I personally think that film is like the culmination of, um, Pop Channel's work. And that's saying a lot because he's done films like Old Boy and, Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance and um, things like that. And it just encapsulate a lot of stuff that I loved about him and also about how he, you know, challenged himself to tackle subject matter he's not familiar with. You know, so I guess for now, um, the canon itself will not be ranked per se, but if I wanted to pick a, a film that I would most want people to watch as of right now, um, it would be, it would be The Handmaiden. I have, it's a great recommendation. I haven't seen it, but I have heard a lot about it. Um, and I know, obviously, it's a crime sort of drama film. Uh, from what yeah. I do know about it, it does sound very, very interesting. It's, uh, yeah, the crime is like a... It, it's more like a, a con film. And I think con films... Like con as in C-O-N. Um, and uh, I think like, watching, like, cons in movies is, like, kind of like a commentary on cinema itself, you know, just how, how cinema, like artists, like try to pull tricks on you through, through their films and manipulate your, your point of view and everything. And it, and that particular film does it brilliantly. Well, it's certainly one to check out. Um, once again, this is, I've got another film to add to my list. Um, so that would be Eugene's recommendation. Check it out. Do check it out and let him know what you think of it. Um, just quickly diverging off that. You just mentioned, obviously, you've started your list on New Year's Day. Not a bad way to start the year. What were some of your favourite films from last year? And are there any any in particular that you're anticipating uh, going forward in 2018? Well, from last year, um, I did recently compile a list of my favourite films. It's actually on my blog, and I'm on Letterboxd as well. Um, so, I guess a, a film that hasn't appeared on a lot of people's radar... Um, and probably for good reason, just because it's not really widely available as of yet, is um, it's On the Beach at Night Alone. It's by um, directed by uh, the Korean director, Hong Sang-soo. And um, what was interesting about that film was that it, was, uh, it wasn't something I was expecting to like. Um, I, haven't, I hadn't really been into that director before. Like I found his style to be slow and deliberate and um, hard to get into way yeah and there was also this uh pretty uh big scandal around the director and the, the main actress in that film um basically were they having an affair or something they were yeah um so basically hong sang su has been married to his wife like for well over a couple decades so he has a, a daughter who's in college right now and um basically he started an affair with the actress Kim Mini, who, by the way, is actually in The Handmaiden, as well as one of the main characters. Um, so um, she has kind of that prestige going on. And um, it was just a huge scandal when that happened, and just a lot of ugly words were traded and everything. I, and the film itself is actually kind of supposed to be an examination of that affair. And it just kind of, like, just hearing about it kind of left a like an unsavory taste in my mouth. Yeah. So... A lot going against it, but somehow, somehow, I ended up loving it, and it's so far my favorite film from last year. So, was that film? Sorry, was that film um, on the beach tonight alone? Was it actually written about their affair? So, yeah, um, Hong Sang Soo like writes all of his own screenplays um, with collaboration, but still, um, he has a very unique way of writing in that he will. Uh, he won't have like a script beforehand, but on the on the day of filming, he'll actually like wake up like really early in the morning and just write the dialogue for that day. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, I just imagine that basically, um, you know, since that affair and the fallout from it was so fresh in his mind, and of course, the woman he's having an affair with is, you know, in the movie. Um, I imagine that's that's the place where it came from, and just. It contributes to kind of like the rawness of that particular film, the vulnerability um, that you see in it. Yeah, I can imagine you can get pretty genuine um, emotions and acting performances from from something like that. Um, mm-hmm. That said, 
like you say, it's an incredibly intriguing, if not sort of slightly souring um, story to hear. But um, I was something I've learned from doing this is Korean cinema seem is apparently a hotbed of very good movies, which I'm missing out on. Uh, and what it may sound like, I've missed out on another one. So once more, that's two, uh, two questions, two recommendations. We keep this up. I won't have any time to actually do anything. Um, so that does sound extremely interesting. Um, what about going forward into 2018? Is there anything you're particularly looking forward to? Well, let's see. I can give you a little preview for the, the theme, uh, a couple of the themes I'm thinking of. Please um, do. So, yeah, every month I pick a new theme. So in the very first month in January, it was Japanese female directors. Um, and that was because like, I literally could not name a single Japanese female director um, back then. And now I can name five um, just because I forced myself to explore um, that particular area. Um, and then in February, it was Korean blockbusters. So so it's interesting that you say that you're not familiar with Korean film because a lot of the Korean film that comes to like either Europe or America, um, it tends to be it's really weird. It's either like really like uh, auteur driven fare, mm-hmm. um, very art house or whatever. Um, in fact, that director Hong Sang Soo is, is not very popular in Korea. He actually has a much bigger international audience. Um, so I wanted to actually introduce some films to kind of a general audience um, that would be like the big blockbusters in Korea. And um, they're important just because Korea itself is actually a, um, one of the biggest film markets in Asia, even though it's like, it's not even the, uh, it's, uh, it's actually the third biggest film market in Asia, even though it's not the third biggest country by far in, um, in Asia. So what, what Korean people like, it tends to translate to at least other Asian countries as well. Um, and then as for themes, uh, coming up, um, one of the things I'm trying to do this year is I'm trying to kind of uh, watch more female directors. Yeah. And uh, this month I'll be uh, kind of diving into the work of Chantal Ackerman. Yes. Um, yeah. A director that I didn't really get, you know, I, I've seen maybe like one film or a couple films of her, you know, um, a long time ago, but um, I'm willing to kind of give her a shot uh, again uh, for, for this particular month. It's, I like, the, I like the idea of how you do that. Cause it, by the sounds of it, you're educating yourself whilst at the same time educating well, people like me or those who uh, read your read your blog. Um, so I'm definitely going to check out that Korean um, blockbuster page because, I mean, I've, I've seen Old Boy, the, the, the original Korean one, uh, and the sort of the mainstream release like Okja, but, um, right. which are which two films which I thought were fantastic, mind. But um, mm-hmm. I think it's very helpful. What you're what what you're doing and what how how do you choose your themes? Is is it just basically based on first sort of um, educating yourself, if you will? Is that your kind of first criteria or? Yeah, um, I guess with the Korean blockbusters, I'd had a little bit of familiarity. Um, it was to more or less educate people who might mm-hmm. come across my blog. Um, but yeah, for the most part, a lot of films are or a lot of the subjects that I choose are just to kind of fill up gaps in my, um, in my general knowledge. So, um, and I, with the, with my blog, I come from the position that, you know, I'm not a film critic per se. I didn't, I never went to film school or took even a film studies class. So, you know, I'm, I'm kind of in it just as everyone else is in it as well, who hasn't, um, dived into, um, film in at least a kind of an academic setting. So, um, I, I kind of see myself as like a more um, avid amateur in a way. Well, your reviews, uh, I think they're they're rich with knowledge, very rich with knowledge, and there is a clear understanding of film and can't, what a, what makes a good review. Because when I when I read them, I get a clear understanding firstly of what the film's about, secondly what you think about it, and thirdly should I actually watch it. So um, right. so so so, to, so they're very well written. For, especially for somebody who calls himself an amateur, I think they're very good. But what do you look for in a review? What makes yours, you know, particularly readable? So I think uh, basically what it's it's uh, the fact that you answer that way. It's, it's um, it shows me that it's doing. I'm doing my job in a way that I just 
well, obviously to familiarize uh, the audience uh, with with the film, have a kind of a good understanding of what's about. Um, I think because reviews are so subjective, I want to acknowledge that, and I want to uh, basically show myself and my reaction and mm-hmm. in, in um, when when I write a review. Um, I don't again. I don't claim to be any sort of expert or even like even though I'm a teacher, I don't I don't claim um, like superior knowledge. Only in the fact that I've probably seen like many more films that most casual moviegoers have, but that's that's kind of about it. Um, so yeah, just kind of embracing the subject the subjective and just trying to um, um, and maybe if I respond to something, you could perhaps respond to something in a to, to that same thing in a similar way. I gen- genuinely do think they're very good. And I myself like to think of somebody who's willing to try out new new styles, new uh, avenues, new genres. And I do consider myself a fairly learned movie reviewer. So reading some of your reviews, sort of films I hadn't seen, it really, really helped me out because so they also, there's also a sort of an, an intelligentness to them. Um, Thank you. No, it's That's not... uh, totally my intention, yeah. It completely comes across in what you do. Uh, so, going back to sort of touching on what we mentioned earlier on, what movie would you say has particularly left the biggest impression on you for whatever reason? So, I think uh, my formative years and my cinephilia were probably the late 90s to the early 2000s uh, when, um, when I was uh, entering college and I just kind of had you know, a lot of time to just kind of dive into my university's film library. Um, so a lot of films around that time were probably my most formative, uh, my most formative films. Um, the film that a lot of people around my age will usually say um, is Magnolia, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson. Yes. Um, yeah, just, um, you know, I had no idea what I was getting into when I saw that particular film. And, um, I still think it's one of his best works, although like I, I, I think as I've kind of matured and seen more films, like um, I can kind of see the potential problems uh, with with Magnolia, but just the sheer passion and the um, the all encompassing nature of the film and just how how ambitious it was trying to not only tell like really really personal uh, family dramas, but you know go for big you know metaphorical spiritual like um, um, uh, questions as well and trying to tackle them um, was, it it was just kind of exhilarating for me. And uh, and seeing Paul Thomas Anderson, like associating his name with that particular film was kind of, that was kind of my very dramatic introduction to to auteur theory and realizing how how much films can be a manifestation of of an individual's voice. Um, And I, I have, I haven't revisited Magnolia in a while. I'm sure it will still have as big an impression on me. But um, what's even more exciting is that, you know, as I've followed um, Paul Thomas Anderson's career, I've I've seen him grow and, you know, try new things and develop in ways um, that are just really exciting to me. So he's also one of my, yeah, uh, my oldest friend, I guess, in terms of uh, my cinephilia. That's a very nice way of putting it. Uh, Paul Thomas Anderson can never be um, accused of not being ambitious. Uh, Magnolia, I agree, is a, it's a fantastic film. Uh, so the mood and the characters that they build and they build, it's so clever. And it's, um, like I say, it's, it's, it's a wonder he managed to actually pull it off. Uh, I don't think it's, right. gonna, it's, not a, it's not a movie that's for everyone. But um, right. like you say, if you want a heavy, a, you know, an engaging drama, then first you can't go wrong with many of Paul Thomas Anderson's films. But Magnolia... Uh, I do agree, and it's a fantastic turn from Tom Cruise as well. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, I think Paul Thomas Anderson is, um, I think just because he, he pays so much homage to like earlier film directors, like, say, um, uh, Robert Altman or um, like uh, Sidney Lumet or, or some of these other guys, like, he's, he's kind of a good bridge between kind of the history of uh, cinema and just kind of looking forward into the future as well so he's i think he's kind of like the perfect filmmaker for someone just just getting into uh, just getting to film to to really engage with with that in mind would that 
be ranked as one of your favourite films of all time, or do you have some other favourite movies uh, that you go back back to time and time again? Right. Um, yeah, I still love. Um, I still love Magnolia. I don't know if it would necessarily make say like my top ten or top five. Um, I guess um, other films that just kind of really challenged me and you know really changed the way that I looked at um, looked at cinema would. It would uh, again, like a lot of budding cinephiles, David Lynch and Mulholland Drive. Uh, that was a that, that was, was a big one. Movie. Right, right. I mean, again, I it was kind of the same thing um, for a lot of my now current favorite directors. In that, when I first engaged with their work, um, it didn't really click with me. But seeing Mulholland Drive made David Lynch click with me. Not that I understand him or even claim to like understand half the things he's trying to do. Um, but just just the effect that it had on me and just how how much he draws me into his mystery without explaining really anything um, was just so um, was just it was so uh, uh, enriching and empowering in a way so um, I guess another one would probably be in the mood for love um, Wong Kar Wai again another uh, good introduction to to like auteur driven cinema as well again a movie that when i first watched it i didn't get or really care for but something just kind of forced me to uh rewatch it and i that's the film that i just revisited not not a month ago actually um and yeah just seeing seeing um how deliberate and how artistic and um how much he can draw out a, a really emotional experience without like overacting or anything um, was was uh, was really beautiful as well and i guess one of the most intriguing or exciting things i guess for yourself is by creating this canon of yours it literally mm-hmm. does open the doors for unlimited possibilities to completely add to your you know your favorite movie shall we say right how, how many how many movies do you think would you say you watch a month in terms of you know your completing your canon, or is it just one a month solely to focus on? Um, well, so for the actual canon review, um, I I plan to do ten a month, so I will be watch. And usually those are all rewatches. Um, they're actually pretty much all rewatches, and so at least those ten. And as for exploration, um, I don't know. Pretty much anything anything new I watch is is um, is exploration. Um, I can, and sometimes actually, there's a, there are times when I revisit um, particular films um, for no particular reason, and I come away inspired. Um, if uh, an example was uh, for some reason I was inspired inspired to watch The Secret Garden, which uh, the children's film uh, that came out in was it 1990, 1993? Yeah. Um, yeah, it was. Um, I don't know why I wanted to watch it again, but I did, and. I just uh, I was just kind of blown away by how accomplished that particular film was. Um, uh, just uh, just for context, um, uh, the cinematographer on Secret Garden is actually Roger Deakins, who just won an Academy Award last night. Well deserved as well. Well deserved. Yeah, it's um, after 14 nominations. It's, uh, it's a high time coming. Well, the Secret Garden. Firstly, that is a, that is a kind of random. Pick to sort of to go back to, but that is right. a that is a mesmerizing film, and it's so well acted as well from the great Maggie Smith. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I realized that I actually remembered a lot more of the film than I thought I did, which I guess kind of speaks to its power and just like the impression it left on me when I when I was a child. Um, yeah, just just the cinematography and just the great um, just the great performances, um, the lead the the young girl who plays um, the main character is um, she's so good. She, Kate she's, uh, yeah, right, right. Um, and she's uh, um, she's definitely like not like a pleasant child, or for mo- much of the movie, she's an unlikable child. But you know, she goes through that arc and she becomes more humane and more likable and more in touch with other people. And I thought that was just really, really well done. Um, and um, and actually, I paired the Secret Garden with another adaptation by Francis Potts and Burnett, 
um, A Little Princess, actually, which came out a couple years later. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's directed by Alfonso Cuaron and his cinematographer, Emmanuel Lubezki, who worked on that particular film as well. And I was kind of stunned to see like just how much was going in that in that particular film um, as well. Well, obviously, just as as people grow, they naturally they 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 start to notice things they may not have done when they're younger. But I suppose certainly with the kind of range of movies that you are watching and the passion you have, going back to watch these kind of films must must really enlighten you somewhat. So, like in nineteen ninety three, I probably wouldn't have noticed the brilliant work Roger Deakins put into the Secret Garden. But obviously, fifty twenty five years later, you. You, be, you come to appreciate it more, so I think that's that's one of the main benefits of a, of a rewatch. Is it, it's almost like watching it again with fresh eyes. Definitely, and that's um, and the whole idea by like catching up with film was just the I like in a way that coming up with your own canon is like such a quixotic thing, right? It's um, especially if you want to do it about all movies mm-hmm. and um, and you want to cover as many different areas as possible, and you realize that. That's basically impossible, but um, but just going on that particular quest um, is uh, is really um, really really fascinating and just uh, something that I look forward to as I just kind of keep exploring um, and revisiting. Well, hopefully, it inspires more people to do so because it's uh, it really is a great idea because film is almost it almost seems like it's um, infinite, limitless, like there's no end to it. So there's right. so much you can uncover. Definitely. Uh, do you have a? Um, this may seem like a, a well, again a naive question to ask, but do you have a particular number you're looking to hit? Number of movies, or is it just gonna keep going? It's um, as of right now, it's one thousand. One thousand. And how many? How much? How many are you up to at the minute? Uh, so, I've, I'm averaging ten a month. So I'm at I'm at twenty right now, um, and. Uh, for every 100, I'm trying to do kind of something unique. So for the first 100, I, I want to make sure that I'm doing at least like one uh, per year. Um, so I don't want to like double dip in, in years until like I loop back, I guess. Mm-hmm. And then I'm thinking of some other times like if uh, when I hit my next 100, maybe I'll try to do all female directors, for instance. Or um, um, yeah, just um, again, <clears throat> like so. I love Edgar Wright. Um, he came up with a list of like his a thousand favorite films. Yeah. Um, and I, I enjoyed kind of looking into his list and everything I did notice. And it's because this list is like supposed to be very personal and very, um, and not, not pretentious in a way mm-hmm. that his films very much reflected his background as in, you know, a middle-aged, um, white man from England who grew up, um, around the seventies and eighties. So like, a large majority of his films come from that time. And um, he doesn't necessarily have that many foreign films, for instance, or um, or films from like earlier, or, or as many films from earlier decades. And um, so, um, and again, that that is not a criticism of him. It's just an observation I pointed out, but um, I want to kind of open myself to kind of new ways of, of seeing things and, uh, films that no one would ever put in their own canon that um, maybe I could maybe I could put in mine if um, if I seek it out and you know, really really seek to kind of engage with it. Well, the movies that are in your canon, as I say, that there is a there is a sort of a vast, fairly vast breadth of uh, of genre of styles of uh, country of production. There's there's already I can already see the nucleus starting to build already. Um, mm-hmm. Just for anyone listening, the Edgar Wright list is on Letterbox. Just search for it, and you'll find it. But um, right. dare I say, once you've completed a thousand, what on earth are you going to do with yourself after that? <laughs> I will uh, most likely keep going. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, I see this as kind of like a self-reinforcing cycle. That the more that um, you want to create the list, the more that it just becomes impossible. That You're never going to stop watching out. films, so. Yeah, exactly. Well, you you touched upon Roger Deakins earlier on. I think it would be fairly remiss to not mention the Oscars very quickly. They've now been and gone. Uh, firstly, right. uh, did you have a go at predicting the winners and losers? 
And secondly, did. did you agree with the results in general, if I could use the word agree? Right. Uh, so I did. Um, just among our, I guess the way that we, we connected, you and I, Matt, was uh, through uh, a LinkedIn group uh, just that started from Letterboxd. There was kind of an unofficial pool going on. That's right. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, and um, yeah, basically, I gave it a go. Um, there were, like, I, I played the odds for most of them, I think, but there were some big swings that I went for that I didn't, I didn't quite get because, well, it wouldn't be really that fun if um, if you didn't go for a big swing. Well, of course. Any examples? Um, probably the biggest one was uh, nominating Sally Hawkins for um, The Shape of Water over Francis McDormand. Um, it it seemed like a foregone conclusion, but I felt like if anyone could possibly challenge um, Francis McDormand, um, it would have been Sally Hawkins. Just her her performance of um, you know, just just the fact that she seemed so limited in her performance. She was playing a mute woman, uh, yet she was able to convey, um, you know, so much story and so much emotion you know, through through her performance. Uh, without the power of speech, was uh, was that that was definitely one of my favorite performances of the year. In terms of the t- two films you mentioned, I was a bigger fan of Three Billboards. I found it to be a lot for me. I found it right. a lot more compelling, and that. It was that movie stayed with me for a lot longer. Uh, right. Frances McDormand was an absolute hurricane in that film. She is um, undeniable. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. She seems to be like that just in everyday life by the looks of it. But um, right. <laughs> I think the, the the main swing I went for, I think, was Willem Dafoe to to take Best Supporting Actor, which um, again went to deservedly went to Sam Rockwell for that three billboards. Right. Yeah, I definitely don't begrudge him that. I I would have personally preferred. Willem Dafoe in the Florida Project. Um, yeah. It's kind of hard to... I mean, it's... Uh, I think for actors, like it tends to be kind of the bigger, flashier performances that tend to uh, that tend to win. And, you know, Sam Rockwell is, is a great actor, and uh, he has a lot of craft, and he puts a lot of effort into his work, obviously. But, mm-hmm. you know, just the fact that Willem Dafoe was so convincing as an ordinary guy is... Um, I think it's a bit underrated, and... Um, it's not. It's not something that uh, seems to be obviously Oscar bait or awards bait. Right? No, and it's a shame. And I, I don't usually subscribe to the notion that actors deserve an Oscar because they've had such a good career. But it would right. be nice to see Willem Dafoe end up with one, just because he's gone from playing the Green Goblin to being in a film as, you know, as mad as Antichrist, to then right. playing somebody as normal, if you will, as he did in the Flora Project. His career certainly has a... He's taken many twists and turns, so he certainly has gone about it the hard way. And that's for that reason, that's why I'd have liked to have seen him win, but also because he was just bloody good in the Florida Project. Right, right, yeah. I feel like the whole winning an Oscar for a career was probably more applicable to Gary Oldman, in a way. Um, that, that Oscar, I think, was a long, long time coming. Um, Agreed. Did you believe... Did you, uh, were you, again, was that one that you agreed with? <laughs> I don't like using the word agree with because I mean it's all subjective, but you understand right. obviously when I say agree. Is that right. one which you you could accept or? Um, you know, I could accept it. Again, um, you know, Gary Oldman should have won for say Sid and Nancy, Tinker or, Taylor, or yeah, or honestly something like The Fifth Element. Um, I yeah. I thought he was ridiculous and amazing and so watchable in that in that particular movie. Um, and, uh, I mean, like, here's the thing with The Darkest Hour. I saw, like, a half hour of it, and I kind of knew what film I was watching. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and one of the films that I don't particularly, one of the film genres I don't particularly care for is the biopic, just because, like, most of those movies are so so predictable and follow, like, really, really obvious storylines, and even more so when it's, like, a really big historical event, like World War II yeah. or whatever. Um, yeah, I don't deny Gary Oldman doing doing great work in that particular film, uh, but um, yeah, uh, it's it's it it seems like basically an Oscar performance, and that it was it was geared for winning an Oscar in a way. It was effective. It's about so certainly succeeded. Um, and yeah. just lastly, just touch just on the Oscars because it's so fresh in our memory. Um, in terms of the best picture, Shape of Water, from the nine films that were nominated, 
would that be the one you would have picked for best picture if you had a vote? Probably not. Um, I, I liked the movie just fine. Um, I, I again, Gabriel Del Toro is is one of the few visionary directors, and I I, I would emphasis on the vision, um, just um, the look of his films and uh, that the tactility he brings to like a lot of his creations and and um, yeah, I guess. I didn't necessarily connect as strongly to that particular film just because I felt it was a little too much like a fable mm-hmm. um, and a little, yeah, a little too fairy tale-ish. Um, and um, even though there was a lot of dark elements and more, and it touched on some, you know, pretty important themes about prejudice and homophobia and things like that. Um, yeah. Um, I guess personally, um, like, I, I I honestly like most of the other films better than The Shape of Water, um, and it's got it sounds kind of weird to say this, but I, I'm kind of glad that Get Out and Lady Bird didn't win, even though I love those films like so much. Um, it's because both of them are first time directors, and I think both of them are capable of making even better films than um, than, than those two, even though those two those two films are are, are so great. Um, so, but yeah, um, like winning an Oscar might like kind of skew with their, their, um, the expectations around them. and Direct for my take, yeah. Yeah, too much undue pressure, I guess. So, well, yeah. I'm glad to see Jordan Peele won for best original screenplay, but I think nice. the, the Shape of Water, actually, all in was, the, the in terms of the nine films, I, the, mm-hmm. I ranked that the lowest. I think right. I only gave it about six and a half out of ten. Um, I see. I, again, for the same similar reasons you did, I liked the film. I had some it, very it, great performances. I thought the score was incredible. I thought it was right. a fantastic score. Visually, as is Del Toro, it looked fantastic. But I don't know. It just didn't connect with me, as you say. Like it seems to with a lot of other people. And I know Michael Shannon gets a lot of praise for his role, but for me, he was too caricature, and he seemed almost at odds with the rest of the film. Sure. But um, it's not not denying that it's a good movie. But it certainly for me, it wasn't the the great movie of the year. But um, right. hey, not, I would have picked three billboards. But uh, hey, I will, anything. It, it's Del Toro, and the way he directs his film, he deserved to win just basically on his direction, which he did also win best director. So right. So, yeah. Uh, obviously, this one may be a we may have to, we we can always change the wording of this, but. With your canon, obviously, you seem to be the the films you're reviewing seem to be personal favourites or ones which you are seeing in a more positive light. What would be the right. worst film that you've reviewed, or if not reviewed, probably even just seen in the in the recent years? So, it's um yeah, that's that's an interesting question. Just because I feel like a lot of the worst films are the ones I don't remember. Um, honestly, mm-hmm. I think a bad film is one that's just forgettable and leaves no impression on you. Essentially, unless it's like kind of glaringly, glaringly bad, despite like all the effort that's been yep. put into it. Um, so last year, I had the um, very, very dubious pr- privilege of being introduced to um, Neil Breen. Um, I don't know if you've heard of him, if you've heard of him, but basically, I, I assume you've heard of like The Room and Tommy Wiseau and all of that. Of course, yes. Yeah. So that that is kind of seen as like the worst film of all time. He's kind of built up cult around that and um, people living off that, that right <laughs> um but honestly i think neil breen is like um yeah far worse far worse than tommy wiseau actually the film i watched was uh fateful findings and it was um it was, uh, basically a friend had seen it with like a group of his other friends and he he was so inspired by the terribleness of this particular <laughs> film <laughs> that he he set aside a special night to like invite a lot more people to um to watch it. Um and um well, let's put it this way. Basically Neil Breen is um I think he's like a Las Vegas like real estate investor or something like that, and he literally creates films with uh money out of pocket, like and again, um even uh, even even uh, so called cheap movies like can cost millions of dollars. So his movies are really really cheap. They're maybe like <laughs> ten, tens of thousands of dollars, and it shows basically. You can see like um, clearly where he's um, 
use his house um, to like imitate like say a hospital room or um, <laughs> like there are there are scenes that take place in kind of like a, um, if you're familiar with Under Skin you, you know how there's a there are scenes where that take place in kind of like a this pitch black environment yeah yeah um, yeah whatever. so he tries to imitate that particular environment for like some weird like um, intercut scenes uh, except he uses like black trash bags to, to imitate <laughs> blackness um yeah it's 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 the cheapest looking honestly piece of crap that i've ever seen but it's so hilariously incompetently made uh just on every aspect that i i, it's, uh, I had a great time watching that particular film and i mean it's definitely a bad film but i wouldn't call it a quote-unquote bad film because i definitely did not forget this particular yeah. well at least Tommy um, Wiseau had the decency to use garbage green screen right it's exactly. funny how these kind of films like The Room and um, Fateful Findings seem to actually bring people closer together you mentioned that you, you, obviously your friend had people around to watch this film yeah uh, yeah just um, yeah literally I mean the movie is just kind of jam packed with um, just uh, things to comment on, and uh, it kind of it just invites <laughs> so much um, so much snarky behavior and commenting that it's um, yeah that yeah definitely watching it alone is uh, is not the way to go. It's, um, I made that mistake with the room actually. Um, I, I actually watched it alone by myself, and it was it was it was quite frankly a drag. Um, but you know, faithful findings that was kind of like the perfect um, bad film watching experience. So is that a is that a film which you'd recommend to watch with a group of guys or girls just to revel in how bad it is? Right. Uh, yeah, I I would totally recommend that. And he <laughs> has other movies, like surprisingly as well, um, and they are equally as absurd. I mean, like here's the thing with with Tommy Wiseau, it's like you kind of at least with the room, you kind of get the sense that he's gone through some great pain that he's trying to bring onto. Um, the page and the screen and um, just that it was informed by that, you know, however terrible the final product was <laughs> uh, with Neil Breen. It's, it's just, um, um, you can just tell just how big the ego on this guy is. Um, he literally in this film, he basically is a computer hacker slash like kind of messianic figure who like takes down the corrupt government and, um, through his amazing computer hacking skills. Um, so he's the uh, hero of his own he, film. He is the hero of his own film, and it, it makes it makes absolutely no sense, but it's just, you kind of gawk a little bit at just how, kind of the balls on this guy. And <laughs> <laughs> how, how full of himself he is, essentially. I'm almost loath to recommend it, but um, Faithful <laughs> Findings, go check it out, everyone. It certainly sounds right. like a lot of fun. But... Right. Watch it with a group of people, or else you will end up hating yourself. Seems <laughs> to be the message. Um, I'd say so. Fateful findings will not be the answer to the next question, but if uh, if you could just take one movie with you, if every movie in the world had been deleted apart from one which you could pick, what are you picking and why? So when I was kind of thinking about this question, I was uh, I was thinking maybe we should have a movie that kind of has everything, right? Um, having like mm-hmm. the comedy, the, the drama a little bit of tragedy and um but i realized that you know having a movie like that would just would probably just be some big bloated mess that um wouldn't connect to anyone by because you know, that's kind of the irony like when you try to be when you try very deliberately to be universal um you end up appealing like no no one essentially Yourself, yeah. yeah so i kind of went the opposite direction and um i picked kind of like Perhaps one of the simplest, but maybe still the most powerful film that I could think of. Um, it's from it's from Iran. It is called Children in Heaven, and the story is so simple. Basically, it's about a brother and a sister, a young brother and sister, uh, growing up in a fairly impoverished part of Iran. Okay. Um, and essentially, through some incident, um, the the brother loses his sister's shoes and he has to enter a race in which the third place prize is a pair of new, new sneakers essentially. And that's it. 
that that's the entire plot. That's all the drama there is in that particular film. But I guess what appealed to me about it was just how simple and relatable the story was. How um, aside from say the language barrier, which is and it's not really heavily reliant on dialogue, um, just um, just uh, just how powerful like something something so simple was, and how you don't need big dramatic plots to have um, something that can connect with 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 audiences um, and um, get get a strong emotional reaction out of them. I'm assuming it's a very character driven film then. Yeah, it's uh, the film. It's just it, it kind of it, it definitely is more along the lines of say like neo realism um, that and how those films they do actually tend to be pretty character driven. Uh, I mean the environment is really important in those films, but. Um, you get to you know spend a lot of time with the characters and seeing them you know do really mundane things uh, like just talk to each about other about shopping or something and, and whatever but um yeah again uh no um that film just kind of proved to me that there's that you don't have to have you know overly written scripts or overly produced um design to to tell a, a really strong effective story i mean that the point of that question is to kind of elicit that kind of response because I'm not going to say I've seen Children of Heaven because I haven't, um, but it, it it opens my eyes and hopefully people who are listening to the idea that there are these kind of films out there, and that, like you say, you don't need it to have a huge budget, you don't need it to have the big a big star in it or overblown CGI. Sometimes the simplest films can be certainly for yourself in this case can be the you know the most impactful. Right. Um, so that's so. Thank you very much for that. That's a fantastic answer. If there's going to be a film about Eugene, who's going to play you? Uh, I was also thinking about this question, and there's a uh, there's at least in America, there's no real actor who could play me. You know, I'm um, Korean male, um, you know, who speaks who speaks English without an accent, um, uh, at least a non-Asian one, anyway, and there's really no one like me, uh, I guess, in among like, kind of the big actors. And if you name some other Korean actor, like, say, I don't know, John Cho or whatever, um, even, uh, even, even, I wouldn't want them necessarily portraying me. Um, so I, I can't really think of a, a really good one, um, at least in the American cinema. In Korean cinema, again, uh, I think the tendency tends to be towards extremes. Um, in like among Korean actors, like either it's kind of like the very young, kind of pretty boy um, mm-hmm. actors that are really popular, or it's like kind of very old and respected um, actors like Song Gang Ho or um, uh, Chen Min Shik, uh, both of whom have been in some of the great Korean films like uh, uh, like Old Boy yep. and uh, uh, Memories of Murder and all that. Um, yeah, so yeah, honestly, I don't, I don't I don't really have anyone that. Um, that I think could actually represent me. And I think that's a shame, but hopefully, you know, as uh, Hollywood and um, kind of big budget movies get a little more diverse, maybe there will be eventually someone like me. Well, the train certainly left the station, so hopefully they can, hopefully that becomes a reality and it's, and hopefully in a few years' time we, we don't even have to think of it as some kind of extraordinary thing that's happening. Hopefully it should, in 2018, be the norm. I, <laughs> I agree there. But I quite like the answer that basically there's just nobody else like you. So it's, who's going to play a movie about you? You're going to play the character of you because there's nobody else like you. I like I that. I guess so. I, I like guess it. so. You better get yeah. practicing your acting chops then. <laughs> uh, right. So we kind of touched upon this quite a lot in your answers and basically on on the canon quests that you're doing. But mm-hmm. would you would you have any words of encouragement or advice for anybody out there who's looking to get into movie reviewing or creating their own? Uh, list of movies right um i would say basically just kind of go for it i again i don't have any particular experience um uh watching film critically or having taken classes or anything like that it's one of the great things about you know our current age that anyone can be a critic and usually that's kind of seen as an insult in a way um just because like why is your opinion so important in a way but you know, guess what? Your opinion is important, and 
perhaps your your opinion can can influence someone to see things in, in a way uh, that they'd never seen it before. Um, I would also suggest reading a lot. Um, like a lot of my cinephilia came actually from reading reviews. Um, so one of the books that I would just kind of read like for fun before I even watch any of these movies would be like Leonard Maltin's Guide, um, like probably the most extensive film guide, like created more or less by one person. Um, and also just reading like critic, other critics and seeing which styles like kind of appeal to you and, um, how, how you would choose to write, uh, your, your own reviews in a way. We'll take that on board, everyone, because I don't know about you guys, but I feel like I've learned an awful lot from this conversation as a whole in terms of movies and just insight in general. So thank you so much for that, Eugene. All right. Thank you. That's that for this episode of the What I Watch Tonight show. Uh, again, thank you so much for coming on today, Eugene. Where can the world find you within the World Wide Web? Um, again, you can follow me at www.catchingupwithfilm.com. Dot com. Uh, please subscribe. Actually, is that way you'll. Um, usually, I do post to my social media, but uh, the best way to just get my content right away at your fingertips is is to actually subscribe to the website. Otherwise, you can find me on Letterbox at E M Kang K A N G. Um, also on Twitter at the same just the same name. Um, and if you are on Letterbox, I would encourage you to try to join the movie talk community. Um, I think it's a, it's a great online community. Um, it's how I met Matt here. And, uh, would, uh, and if you just want to talk about film in a semi-serious way, uh, I think it's a great forum to do so. I second that. There's a lot of people with a lot of different backgrounds and opinions uh, and experience and knowledge of films. So uh, you'll certainly learn a lot from that forum. Um, and yeah, point your browsers towards all of those avenues that Eugene's just mentioned. Uh, do check out his work. It is intelligent, it's knowledgeable, and it's brilliantly vast. Uh, and you will learn a lot from following uh, the quest that he's undertaken. So once again, thank you so much for, for coming on. Uh, thank you all for listening. You can catch the episodes on our website, whatiwatchtonight.co.uk, uh, and subscribe to the show on iTunes simply by searching for the What I Watch Tonight show and smacking that subscribe button. If you like what you hear, share it with everybody you know, and please do tell your grandmothers. But until next time, see ya. Ah!